Hello, welcome to an emergency edition of The Bunker. I'm Andrew Harrison. Last night's scenes in Washington were horrifying, with a pro-Trump mob breaking into Congress, senators, representatives and staff cowering as if in a live shooter scenario, actual live shots fired into the chamber, images of theft and vandalism, and one woman shot dead and three others dying of medical emergencies during hours of what has been described as an insurrection. It's been compared to a day of infamy to rank with Pearl Harbor as an attack on American democracy. And I've got our unofficial US politics correspondent, Brian Class, Associate Professor in global politics at US at UCL, author of How to Rig an Election and host of the Power Corrupts podcast, here with me to talk about it. Hello, Brian. How are you? Uh, I'm doing all right. It's been a horrifying 24 hours in the US, but uh, I'm hanging in there. You warned on our podcasts repeatedly that Trumpism would end in violence. And one recurring theme of last night was it was always going to end this way, that you can't govern by incitement and then expect any other result. A, do you agree and B, has it ended? Uh, I think Van Jones was saying this is either the end of something awful or the beginning of something even more awful on television last night. Yeah, so on the question of whether it's predictable, I mean, I, I've been warning about precisely this happening uh, for years in in general terms and in precise terms since May of 2020 when I wrote a column for the Washington Post specifically predicting three things, that Trump would reject election results, claim it was rigged, and then stoke violence, which his supporters would then turn into deadly uh, actual action. And of course, that came true last night. And the reason I say that is not to pat myself on the back. It's to say that we saw this coming. This was predictable. And that's important because when you recognize the warning signs for things, politicians have an obligation to act to stop them. And instead, what the Republicans did throughout the last several months is they encouraged Trump's incitement to violence. And so, you know, when you look at what happened last night and the Republican Party waking up to the, the, the fact that they have gotten this out of their control and starting to condemn the violence and using harsher language, I see it as arsonists dressing up as firefighters because they lit the fire, they fanned the flames, and when they got burned, they pretend that they had nothing to do with it all along. And I think, you know, that's why this is going to linger well beyond today, is that the United States has undercurrents within one of its major political parties, the Republican Party, that looks at this sort of action and doesn't necessarily think it's bad until people die. And I think that's what's so toxic and what will cause more people to die in the future. Does this fit the bill of a coup? Because coups tend to have a goal to which the mob is aiming towards. So there's two big differences between uh, what happened yesterday, which I would call an, an insurrection or a sedition, and a coup. The first big difference is that coups try to remove presidents from power. This one tried to keep the president in power. And the second is that coups are executed by the military, and this was executed by a ragtag group of dangerous clowns. Um, and so, you know, I think that this is something where the, the, the language is, you know, to some extent semantic, but it is important to highlight. It was an attempted violent act that aimed at stopping the democratic transition of power in the United States. It attempted to undermine or destroy democracy in the United States. And the crucial point is that it was directed by the president himself. He called for, quote, wild protests on January 6th. His lawyer earlier in the day spoke to the zealots that later stormed the Capitol and said he wanted trial by combat. That was his quote to resolve the election. So when you look at the totality of what happened, it is 
impossible to imagine this happening without Donald Trump in the picture. And that's why he squarely deserves the blame and also why he needs to be removed from office, in my opinion, because there are three, there, there's still 13 days left, right? And, and I don't think that this is the end of the, of the Trump story. And I am also very worried about what can happen with these supporters when they finally realize that he's lost and he's leaving. Because part of the aspect of the delusion is that they haven't really settled in with reality yet. They still think he's going to be president for a second term. And the violence happens when that dawns on them, that the reality finally comes clear that he, he will leave in 13 days. Well, in a few moments before we started recording, Congress did ratify Joe Biden's election. So that's, that, that's a done deal. But obviously, we've got the inauguration to go through yet. One of the standouts was people could not believe the contrast between what they were seeing on television and what happened around the Black Lives Matters protest where, you know, armed right police flooded the streets, peaceful protesters are tear gassed. Trump considers using the military. And yet yesterday, it's like park police and the docents for the Congress building and not much else. And there's, there are videos circulating of police, alleged, supposedly police, removing barriers. Now, we, we, we don't know whether this is kind of in any way... Uh, representative or sanctioned or simply some guy on the on, on the spot uh, making a bad decision. But what do you think that contrast between the way that the Black Lives Matters protesters were treated and the way this mob was treated yesterday is going to do to the debate about policing and the debate about how prote- protests are treated? Well, it's quite obvious that law enforcement extends courtesy and de-escalation tactics to white protesters that they do not extend to non-white protesters in the is non-white protesters in the United States. And and the contrast you you cite is exactly right. I mean, the the striking image from several months ago of Donald Trump holding a Bible outside of a church after he cleared peaceful protesters congregating lawfully in a square outside with tear gas compared to what happened where you know, lunatics dressed up in Viking helmets were able to get into the Senate chamber in what should be the most defended building in the United States or one of the most defended buildings in the United States warrants a independent, urgent investigation, particularly because the inauguration is coming up uh, in 13 days. And, you know, Biden should be asking questions about, are you going to be able to keep me safe? The, 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 the members of Congress, according to reporting, fashioned weapons out of hand sanitizer stands to ensure that if they were in harm's way, they could defend themselves. I mean, it it is the most absurd situation. And I think there's a lot of soul searching that has to be done uh, within the Capitol Police, but also within the political framework that allowed this to happen because we knew it was coming. I mean, that's the thing that's so insane about this is people were warning, including myself, that this was going to become violent. And yet they had a skeleton staff and weren't able to even block doors to stop these people from storming into the very chamber of Congress. It would not have happened in Westminster, right? You have gates all around, armed police. It's hard to imagine this happening in Westminster. And the U.S. Capitol has much more resources devoted to it than even the British government does to its own security. So I, I have no idea how it was possible. But there's obviously a massive disparity in how law enforcement has treated this group of protesters and our, and insurrectionists compared to peaceful protesters uh, at Lafayette Park outside of the White House. This episode, do you think it's going to, what's it going to do to this myth of victimization that seems to drive Trump supporters that were kind of governed from above by people who are not like us? Is it going to empower that? Is it going, is it going to be a moment where people break with it? Because 
you know, when you see an attack on what is effectively the cathedral of democracy, a thing that the political right supposedly cling to, that's going to be a break for some people, surely. Yeah, so I think there's a few things to unpack there. The first is that you're absolutely right that they were allowed to get in and get access to things that they never should have. And there are photos on social media, and people live stream this because they're fools, of them you know, stealing documents from Nancy Pelosi's office, taking selfies as they're vandalizing the Capitol. So the first point that's really important here is that these people need to be identified and prosecuted with the full extent of the law. And, and I think that is so important to not just holding them accountable, but also to doing the second point that you raised, which is actually trying to break the spell of Trumpism in the United States and make clear that this is simply unacceptable. Now, the problem is, based on early polling that I've seen from YouGov, only about half of Republicans think this was not a good idea. And half of Republicans in that poll, and it is only one poll, said that they supported the people who stormed the Capitol. Right? There is a movement behind Trumpism that is deeper than Donald Trump. And the problem is that the Republican Party has created incentives in which national figures in the party can only break through and differentiate themselves and become stars if they try to out-Trump Trump. And that means pandering to these dangerous people. So we have a really serious issue that goes well beyond January 20th, which is that a lot of people in America watched what happened yesterday and applauded it. And that doesn't change in three weeks or in two, sorry, in, in 13 days. That doesn't change soon when Donald Trump leaves the White House. So, you know, I am, I am absolutely appalled by it, not surprised, but I do think that we have a reckoning that the Republican Party's base is not a, a group of people that believes in democracy and is a group of people that will use violent means in order to obtain or maintain power, at least partly, right? The, the part of the base is like that. And that's, you know, it, it's so depressing to say this as an American, but it's not going to go away. It is here to stay for quite some time. And that's a very, very deep problem. We saw Trump forced into making a video to, to call for the rioters to, to leave. And instead he praised them and said, we love you. Are there going to be any consequences for him from yesterday's episodes? I mean, the, the pressure to prosecute for incitement and sedition must now be enormous. Yeah, I mean, I think that this is going to increase the appetite for post-presidency prosecution, certainly, because the Republican Party's elites, this is something I should differentiate from my last, my last answer, the Republican Party elites understand that Donald Trump is toxic to the party. They decided to make a Faustian bargain with Trump throughout the last four years and some of them genuinely believe in him, but a lot of them know better. And so, you know, in this situation, making that devil's bargain with Trump is something they're going to try to unwind. But, that, but they've created a monster they can't control. I mean, that's the real problem here. So, you know, when you, when you look at this situation uh, and you try to evaluate how people like Mitch McConnell are going to behave, it's worth noting that before they stormed the Capitol, he gave a speech that I think most bunker listeners would agree with. He actually said, this is the most important vote that I'll ever cast to uphold democracy in America and signaling that we should not try to reject an election result through baseless claims and conspiracy theories. Now, it's way too little, way too late. I mean, there's no applause to be given to Mitch McConnell or Vice President Pence. But there is a small inkling among people who previously would never have dreamed of this 
about removing Trump before he leaves on January 20th. Now, I still think it's a low probability event because a lot of things would have to happen. But if Trump is going to continue down this path, there are two mechanisms to do it. One is impeachment and a trial, which would probably take too long. And the second is the 25th Amendment, in which the vice president and a majority of the cabinet can vote to remove the president from office because he's unfit to discharge his duties. Now, if that sounds extreme to you, I imagine it probably doesn't to most bunker listeners. But to be fair, you know, Twitter and Facebook have made the judgment call that Donald Trump is unfit to tweet. He's not fit to manage so- a social media account. But he is currently in charge of the world's most powerful and destructive nuclear arsenal. And that is true for 13 more days. So if any of these people in the Republican Party who have owned Trumpism for the last four years want to genuinely salvage themselves rather than give some mealy mouth statement on the way out, they should remove him from office tomorrow or today. And that is the thing that is that is ultimately what is at stake here is he cannot be in power any longer. And the impeachment aspect is actually worth pursuing if they can finish it before January 20th, because there's a way they could do it that would prohibit Donald Trump from ever holding the presidency again. And given the propensity of Americans to vote for this madman, I think it's very important that there become a legal precedent that he can no longer be president. Um, So, you know, a lot of this is probably not going to happen because we consistently get disappointed by Republicans being called to rise to the challenge and failing to do so. But it is obvious that it's what needs to happen right now. This has kind of got lost in all of the the, the horrific scenes that uh, we, we saw uh, stream and broadcast throughout the evening. But the day was already sour enough with people like Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley and the others making their, their spurious objections and their, their bad faith submissions on the legitimacy of the election. They all knew they were going to lose and that the election of Joe Biden would be ratified. What were they trying to gain from this? Was it simply to place a cloud, a lasting cloud over the presidency and have the events of yesterday changed the way that their tactics are are, are going to frame Biden's presidency? Yeah. So the, the, the reason they did this was very simple. It was pure cynical political self-interest. They understand the Trump era is coming to a close, and they also understand that Joe Biden won the election. But they know that his voters, Trump's voters, are authoritarians who are willing to discard democracy to keep Trump in the White House. And they know that to position themselves as the rising star in the post-Trump Republican Party, they need to make themselves look like Trump 2.0, right? There's a ratcheting effect that exists in the current Republican Party where the more Trumpian you become, the more that you get coveted speaking spots on Fox News, or if you're more extreme, OAN or Newsmax, these new, even more extreme media outlets. And that's precisely what they're doing. They're just trying to chase those voters. The worst thing about it with Josh Hawley from Missouri and and Ted Cruz from from Texas, two senators, is that they're not stupid people. These These are smart individuals who know exactly what they're doing. Now, the important part of your question, though, is will this change as a result of what happened yesterday? I think there's a possibility it might. Because even though the Republican base is not going to change, Ted Cruz realized that his actions have blown up in his face enormously, right? He is going to be tarnished with this hugely, as will Josh Hawley, right? The picture of Josh Hawley putting his fist in the air to encourage these people who, you know, an hour or two later, violently stormed the Capitol and resulted in the the deaths of four individuals. That's going to be the photo that defines Josh Hawley to come. And so, you know, I think, I think that this is something where the dynamics aren't going to fundamentally shift. Still, the Republican base loves Trump. They love Trumpism. They want more of the same. 
But some of the Republicans have to recognize that this is going to hurt their legacies and hurt their platforms and and potentially hurt their political ambitions because you know Josh Hawley is not looking particularly good right now uh, to people other than the very very diehards within Trump's base. And I think that's 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 the problem is that they're chasing a small group of voters who are disproportionately influential in the party. But hopefully, the more sane elements of the party wake up to this and say enough is enough. What we should have been talking about, of course, would be the, was the Democrats taking Georgia and Warnock and Ossoff's victories and a Democrat-controlled Congress giving Biden a lot more room to maneuver. What are you expecting from a Democrat-dominated Congress and a Biden presidency now after this event? Well, Biden's presidency just got a lot more ambitious as a result of the election results in Georgia. It's not a blank check, right? You, you can't get that much done in the Senate with just 50 votes for two reasons. One is that some major agenda items require 60 votes to clear the filibuster, because at least in the short term, it's not going to be possible for the Democrats to eliminate it. It may happen eventually, but the, the political dynamics do not favor it right now. And so that's one problem Biden has. And the other problem is that for the stuff they can get passed with 50 votes, a simple majority, uh, with Kamala Harris, the vice president, casting the tie-breaking vote, they uh, may have defections occasionally from the more conservative members of their caucus, like Joe Manchin, a senator from West Virginia, who uh, famously, in, in, in my favorite political ad of all time, literally shoots the cap and trade climate change bill that President Obama proposed, right? I mean, this, is, this shows you the independent streak in U.S. politics where uh, you know, his own party's president proposes a bill to reduce climate change, and, and in his ad, he just takes a rifle out and shoots it. So we have, you know, we have some pretty dysfunctional politics, even in parts of the the Democratic Party, and you know, so, so so it's going to limit things. But it's hugely consequential that the results went the way they did. I mean, if it was forty eight fifty two for the Democrats as opposed to fifty fifty, you know, Biden's presidency would have to scale down its ambition enormously. Now there is realistic hope that a lot of things can change significantly for the better, and that some ambitious policies could actually become law. Um, and, and that is something we can all look forward to, I think. Well, finally, Brian, you mentioned it earlier, the inauguration is coming. Are we going to see Washington, D.C. flooded with police and National Guard to make sure that the inauguration can take place safely, do you think? Yes, I, I think it's going to be a massive police presence. And and, and you know, this is, this is the point that I think is really the big takeaway from the events yesterday, is that what, what was on display in the Capitol and what will be on display with protests in around the inauguration and the beginning of the Biden presidency was a, as I said before, a monster that was created by Trumpism that Republicans enabled and fed that they can no longer control. And, you know, on the, on the Power Corrupts podcast, I interviewed a guy from QAnon uh, in the conspiracy theories episode, QAnon, the famous, you know, totally insane uh, fringe conspiracy theory two years ago, now part of the political mainstream in the Republican Party. And these are dangerous people. And, and, and the, the sort of the fringe elements of the Republican Party that people like me were paying attention to several years ago are now forcing us to pay attention to them uh, in general because they are storming the U.S. Capitol. And that behavior, you know, you can try to stop it with greater security like they will around the inauguration. But there are millions of people who sympathize with what happened yesterday. And that, as I said, you know, you've, you've, you've created a monster, you can't control it, and it doesn't die on January 20th. So the, the most depressing point, and I think this is the one, I hate to end on it, but it is, it is the, the bleak reality of, of this situation, is that 
Trump leaves on January 20th. The Trumpian Republican base does not. And that is going to corrode American politics and, and, and damage Biden's presidency in ways that are extremely depressing and also likely to be occasionally violent. Well, it's been an insane 24 hours, but at least we saw that there's one benefit to anti-masking. You can see who's breaking into the Capitol and you can arrest them subsequently. It started on a golden staircase and it ends with alt-right Jamiroquai wandering around the rotunda. Whoever thought of such a thing. Brian, thank you for joining me for this emergency recording. We're going to see you again in a couple of weeks' time and tell us more about these new Power Corrupt editions are out now. Yes, indeed. Season two is out. Uh, but if you haven't listened to season one, it's it's out as well. It's, it's got a lot of themes that are very relevant. Election rigging episodes, conspiracy theories, disinformation, propaganda, all sorts. So um, you can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts, Power Corrupts. Yeah, we put a daily out this morning about uh, what Hitler can tell us about the destruction of democracy from within. And everybody on Twitter said, how did you know? How did you know to put it out today? It was just pure coincidence. Well, there you go. Listeners, thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow with another regular daily, we hope. Until then, don't forget to subscribe. And if you would like to support The Bunker, you can do so on Patreon. Search Patreon Bunker Podcast for early ad-free releases, merchandise, and the obligatory much, much more. We'll see you next time. The Bunker Daily was produced and presented by Andrew Harrison. The assistant producers were Jacob Archbold and Yelena Sofronievich. An audio production was by me, Alex Reese. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker Daily is a Podmasters production. Mm-hmm.